Good evening. I want you to know that I am not intimidated at all by those children and what I just saw. Not at all. I'm looking forward to my opportunity. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, not at all. Not at all. Philippians chapter 3, that's where we are tonight, and uh, we are, as always, thankful for your presence, and we're very thankful to the God of heaven who continually blesses us, and we are just um, living in his grace and goodness and mercy for what he has provided for us, and it is our joy that he is so good to us. Philippians chapter 3, we'll discuss this evening Paul's perspective, the mind to go to heaven. We'll discuss those verses that were just read, and then we'll get beyond that and talk more. Paul, Paul talks about his mindset and how he's going to achieve the goal. He keeps that in front of him as he'll share, and there's certainly something there for us to keep in front of us. Paul's life can be summed up in one word, and I believe that word would be Christ. In another place, he writes, Christ is our life. Who is our life? Well, that's what he is, and certainly that's evident in Paul's life. Christ is also our hope, Paul would write. Heaven is the goal. Paul sets that before him, and the resurrection is the means to get there. To be with Christ, he'll say earlier, is far better. Seems to be frequently on his mind. It's what he desires. That goal he intends to reach. In fact, we're certain that he did. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, I fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And so we trust that Paul was faithful, lived the life, and, and ultimately did and will reach the goal of heaven. He shares his desires and his mind to that end, and he exhorts the brethren to have the same mindset. We're right now in the middle of the book, really, and he, he's talked about some doctrinal matters and weighed in on different things, and he will get practical here toward the end, but this really is the hub of the book right here in chapter 3. He has talked about rejoicing in the Lord. Well, ultimately, that's because of heaven. The unity that needs to be shared among God's people because of heaven. The need to endure. You can't reach heaven if you quit. It's just ahead. And Paul talks about reaching that goal. Someone has suggested that if you're going to reach a goal, it would be good to start at the end and work backwards. And that's not a bad thought. Because if you send your, your thoughts out to heaven and then work your way backward, now how am I going to get there? What is it going to take? What am I going to need to do? One word would be endure. I'm going to have to stay in the race. I'm going to have to keep running. And that's the way Paul kind of talks about it here. The resurrection continues to be discussed. We mentioned it last week as we talked about verses 7 down to verse number 11, and he talked about the things that were gain to him. But the goal was eternal life. You'll notice there in 7 and 8, he says, I count those things but lost for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. And three things he says about Christ. We noted there in verse 9 and verse number 10 that I might know him and then be found in him and his righteousness, not the righteousness of my own. And then he says in verse 11, in order that I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. That is it. Now then he continues to talk about that goal. Heaven is Paul's goals, as he mentions here, specifically in verses 12 to 14. Paul says several things with regards to that. He first tells the brethren, now listen, effectively, I've not achieved it yet, but the goal is there. It's what I want to accomplish, and it's ultimately the goal that matters. In fact, it would be a good thought to remember that the desire determines the disposition. 
I want to reach the goal. That's my desire. Now then, all that is necessary within me to reach that goal of necessity I'm going to need to have. That desire will not be met otherwise. Paul says three things. First of all, he says, and he describes humility. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. Verse number 12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. I suppose in our language and vernacular, surely if there's any person that's moving forward and reached the goal and is worthy, it would be Paul. But Paul says, no, you can see his humility. Brethren, I haven't attained. I imagine Paul got a lot of compliments in his life. I imagine like we talk about him, people in the first century talked about him. Have you heard of Paul? Have you seen Paul? Have you walked with Paul? I imagine there would be people who would say, yeah, I've traveled with him. Yeah, we were in prison together. Oh, man, we were beaten and stoned in Philippi. There we were in Lystra and up again. And Paul stood strong. Paul stood faithful. He talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Where he talks about the visions and things that he had been brought into and how many there were and the thorn in the flesh that he was given so he wouldn't be puffed up and elevated. But you hear his humility here. Brethren, listen, I haven't made it. No, I'm trying. I'm on my way. He says, listen, I press on. I press toward the goal. Verse number 13, he says it again. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. There it is. You hear the humility. Paul then also talks about his diligence. Since I haven't arrived, then he says, my outlook determines my action. Because I haven't arrived, what does he say there in verse 12? But I press on that I may lay hold of it. I haven't made it yet, but I am continuing to go down the path. He often does this. He, he says in verse number 12, I, not that I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which has also laid hold of me. Paul often makes these plays on words where he'll state one thing and state similar language in another way. I think of the time in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where he talks about godliness and gain. He says with regards to false teachers that they suppose that gain is godliness. The very next verse he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He kind of does the same thing here. He says, listen, I haven't laid a hold of it, but it has laid a hold of me. I want to grab that which grabbed me. Something has grabbed me. Something has laid a hold of me, and I want to lay hold of it, but it's ahead of me. And so as a result of that, I am trying to apprehend that which has apprehended me, Jesus Christ, the life, the gospel. That's laid hold of Paul. And now Paul says, listen, I want to lay a hold of it. I want to grab hold of Christ the way Christ has grabbed hold of me. Verse number 13, how? He says, forgetting what lies behind. It is really difficult to go forward looking backward. It is really difficult to do that. If anybody could have had an issue with the past, could have been Paul. Paul could have, and no doubt again, in the first century world, we're told, in effect, the church feared Paul. Barnabas had to go get him and bring back word and say, listen, I'll vouch for him. The church was in fear. We know in his own conversion, there was hesitancy on the part of Ananias. Talking to the Lord, Ananias, told by Jesus himself, go to him. He says, wait a minute, Lord, have you heard? Have you heard about him and what things he done? Listen, Paul says, I forget it. 
I am trying to go forward. As a result of that, I forget those things that are behind. But it wasn't just the difficulty and the things he did wrong in his past that he forgot. Look back at verse number 7 and remember what he says there. But what things were gained to me, those things I have counted lost for the sake of Christ. It wasn't just that he forgot the bad in his past. Paul says, I'm willing to forget the good. It is not the case that some people aren't doing well in their lives financially or otherwise before they meet Jesus. And sometimes every now and again, people will be within the Lord's family and in the Lord's body, and they'll maybe have and hit a rough spot, maybe have some difficulties with a member here or there, and they will almost rear their head back nostalgically and say, boy, I remember when I was in the world. Man, that was a good time. I had so many friends not like these. Let's say you did have some good things in the world. I don't know what they would have been, but let's say you did. They're not better than Jesus. Paul didn't just forget his bad and wouldn't let you hold it against him. Paul says, there were some things I was gaining. I count them as lost too. I forget the things that are behind me. The reason for that is in verse number 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to reach forward like one trying to cross a finish line in a close race, reaching, stretching, yearning to cross. That's what I'm doing. Why? I've already said it. He said it twice. I haven't obtained. And since I haven't obtained, not only is he humble, Paul demonstrates how how, how, how much he is pressing forward, willing to forget the things behind. But then thirdly, Paul says, I'm focused. Verse number 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal. Two thoughts that explain a lot about Paul. He says, first of all, since I haven't arrived, I persist. I will not quit. I'm simply going to keep pressing forward. In fact, he's already introduced us to some of the challenges he's faced. Back in chapter 1, you remember from about verse 14 on, he says, Brethren, the things that have happened unto me have fallen out into the furtherance of the gospel. And then he talked about those who would do him harm. Paul says, I press on through imprisonment. Yeah, they arrested me falsely, but I didn't give up. I press on. Why? I haven't reached a goal. Secondly, he says, I press on toward false teachers. You remember, he says in chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, the many reasons why people preach the gospel. Some preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some out of goodwill, the one know that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And then there are others that seek to add affliction to my bonds. But you know what Paul does? I press on. What about through circumstance and difficulty, Paul? Chapter 4, verse 10 and 12, he says, listen, you Philippians know that concerning me, nobody else helped, but you did. Do you know what? I press on. It's amazing how frequently the Apostle Paul is in peril and in trouble and in difficulty. If you were to take the time to read 2 Corinthians 12, verses 22 to 32, he will lay out a huge amount of pain and angst and struggle. And you know what he did? I press on. Why? Because I haven't reached the goal. I'm pressing on, he says, to the goal. The mission is the matter. Sometimes it's possible if you're not careful, if you lose focus, you can get distracted and get focused on the wrong thing. 
Paul says, don't do that, brethren. The goal is what matters. You can't be distracted. You can't be sidetracked by false teaching. You can't be enticed with the world. You can't afford to be entangled with sin. You can't be, as Paul told Timothy, caught up in the affairs of this life. Now, again, I won't be one of these preachers because, as some people describe it, that's just low-hanging fruit. You know how easy it is to just stand up here behind the pulpit and tell you all the things you can't be entangled in? Oh, we could just name them all. And then somebody would meet me out back and say, Eric, you can't be entangled with golf either. We already know that stuff. It's not that you can't participate in the things. It's not that some of it's not fun and enjoyable, so forth and so on, go down the list. But you know, don't you? You do know when something is getting more of you than Jesus. You do know when your attention is being diverted. You do know when you're getting bogged down. You do know when you're losing sight of the goal, don't you? Paul's message is, listen, we can't do that. Can't, get a, can't afford to be caught up in this life so much that we lose sight of the goal. Never under any circumstances lose sight of the fact that our brief life here is ultimately about a heaven there. That's it. And anything that gets our attention, our focus, our time, our energy, our minds off of that goal, then friends, we need to reassess, realign, examine ourselves, get back in the race, and keep pursuing the goal. Question, have you set a goal in your life? Have you reached it? If you haven't reached your goal, then do what Paul did and persist. And if you haven't attained it yet, then don't quit. Paul's first mindset is, listen, I'm pressing forward and I'm not stopping. Number two, our mind is the means to the goal. Notice verses 15 to 17. Paul says, let us therefore... Let us therefore, in light of these things in 12 to 14, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal even that unto you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. There are three noteworthy expressions in these verses, 15, 16, and 17. Number one, Paul says, let us have this attitude. There is a particular attitude he's been talking about, a particular mindset. Throughout the book, Paul says, now let us have that one. Verse 16, he says, let us keep living. If we have the right attitude, let's keep living the life. If we haven't reached a goal, let's not quit. Let's have the right mind and let's keep living. And then Paul says, let us keep following. Brethren, join me and let's keep following. In fact, mind and be noteful of other people. Journeys are always easier in groups. It's always easier to keep hiking if there are other people hiking. It's always easier to keep climbing if there's other people climbing. Always easy to keep swimming. One thing's for sure, chances are good there'll be some people ahead of you and some people behind you. Chances are good there'll be some people saying to you, come on, you can do it, and some people to whom you can say, come on, you can do it. There'll be some people who swim across, and then they'll get out, and then they'll pull you out as you come across. And then when you're pulled out by others, you'll stand there, and you'll pull others out. 
What does Paul say? Hey, listen, brethren, let's have this attitude. Which one? Go back to chapter 2. Go back to chapter 1. Listen to how frequently he talks about the mind. Brethren, let's have this attitude. Now, the sad reality is not everyone will. That's kind of the exhortation. Notice again verse 15. Who is to have the mind? Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, as many as are complete, as many as are mature, let us, not everybody is that, and therefore not everyone will have this mind. It is a reality of every family and of every group and of every organization. Not everybody will be in the same space. Not everybody will grow at the same time. Not everybody will mature at the same time. And sometimes this disturbs people. Sometimes people walk around who are mature. They look back and say, why don't they get it? When are they going to learn? How come they won't? You know, this is actually Paul's prayer. Go back to chapter 1 and listen to what he prayed. Back in chapter 1, with regards to the Philippians, he says in verse number 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Near the end of chapter 1, again, in verse number 29, he says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict. I'm sorry, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Get into chapter 2 and listen to him talk about doing nothing. Nothing through selfishness and empty conceit, but with humility of mind. And then in verse 5, the passage everyone knows so well, let this mind be in you. Is everybody there? No. But if everybody's not there, what's the journey? Friends, be on your way. Be diligent. Be persistent. Grow in grace and knowledge. Become mature. Discern between the things that are excellent. Let's all have that mind, and let's help one another get there. The call is for saints to have this mind. King James says, be thus minded. The NASV says, have this attitude. And the ESV says, let those of us who are mature think this way. It's one of the reasons I entitled the series, Paul's Perspective. Because that's the mind he has. And throughout the book, he keeps using the first person, I. He says, I want you to know the things that happened to me. Chapter 1 and verse 12. Chapter 1 and verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Not everyone feels that way. Not everyone has that mind yet. Chapter 3 and verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, I counted lost. Yea, I count all things. Is that your mind? It may not be yet, but we can get there. I believe verse 15 is one of the key verses in the book. Let us therefore, after all that he has said up to this point, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. Have this attitude. The reason for that is so significant in Scripture. Our mind determines our feelings, our thoughts, 
words and actions. Sometimes people treat feelings in a very dismissive way. Almost the fact that some people will say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, that's not the right attitude toward feelings. Feelings are real and they're yours and so they're personal and nobody really should tell you how you should or should not feel. That's one part. But feelings aren't magic. Feelings are the result of stimuli. They're the result of evidence. They're the result of thoughts. And you see something, you experience something, you think something, and then you feel. We've talked about it with Jacob and his sons when they showed him the coat. Having seen the coat, he felt. In fact, he mouthed the words, Joseph is without a doubt renting too. Well, if his son is dead, what should he feel? Grief and mourning. And he did. The question, 10 minutes before they arrived with that coat, how was Jacob feeling? Ten minutes before they arrived, he believed his son to be alive. Ten minutes before they arrived with that news, he didn't have any feelings about Joseph being killed. Now they brought him something, and now he believes that. That's the way feelings work. They're the result of thoughts. That's why the Bible is so emphasizing the mind, because the mind won't stop at thoughts. You see, once we start thinking, then we start acting. We start talking. Our words are the result of our thoughts. They're simply our thoughts expressed. That's what the words are. We are revealing what's in our minds. And then we act. Our minds and our hearts won't really let us do it any other way. You do what you think. Want to see a good example of that? That would be Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, 21 to 23, where our Lord talks about that which defiles And he says, men are not defiled by things that are without, they're defiled from within. For out of the heart proceed. And then everything he lists is not simply a thought, it's an action. Out of the heart of man proceed adultery, fornication, evil. These things come from within. Well, before a man commits adultery, he thinks adultery. Which is why Jesus says if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery. If he had the opportunity, he'd complete the act. It's the reason the Bible keeps emphasizing learning. It's also the same reason the world is after the same piece of gray matter. They want our minds too. And it's why they flood us with information constantly. And do not, do not, do not fool yourself into believing that you can drink long at the well of information that the world gives and not be affected in your thoughts and your words and your deeds. Do not trick yourself into that. The Bible says, be not deceived. That is a level of self-deception that it just won't do. No, sir, and no, ma'am. Why do we buy the things we buy? Listen, these people are professional marketers. They are good. You're sitting there one minute without it. The next thing you know, you're in the store looking at it. Hmm. You know I like that. Why do you like that? Well, they are good at what they do. And if you think you are not affected, friends, you are just, you're just uninformed and they have you better than you know. Paul is talking about the mind, and he is saying, brethren, think this way. 
Later in this book, chapter 4, he will list a lot of things and then say, think on these things. He'll actually give us a list of things to think on. What he's talking about is a mature mind, a spiritual mind, a grown and developed mind. Slide down to verse 20 and 21. As he ends this chapter, he talks again ultimately about what the goal is. In verse 20 and 21, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. That's what it's about. From which also we eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will he do? He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he himself even has to subject all things to himself. The mind is set on heaven. It's reminiscent of Colossians 3, 1 through 5. Set your affections on things that are above, not on things of the earth. And if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's the same mind. The mind is on Christ and the resurrection. And the Bible, when it comes to subjects of eternity, seemingly, if not always, emphasizes two things. Number one, Christ is able. Whatever you have entrusted to him, whatever you have given to him, he is able to secure it. He is able to come through. And that's what Paul says here. He says Christ will transform our bodies. He will do it. The second thought is God will keep his promises. Christ is able and God will keep his promise. The mind is hopeful and rejoicing because it's set in heaven. That's where our mind is. That's where our citizenship is. Now, what does all that mean to Paul? Back up to verse 14, he says, I press on toward that goal. In Scripture, there is something to be won. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, it's likened unto the Ithmius Games, the precursor to the Olympics. It's likened to that. And he says, they do it for a corruptible crown, but we do it for an incorruptible crown. He talks about running a race and boxing and beating the air. There is something to be won. Boy, in Scripture, there's also something to be lost. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus asked, what does a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That God wants us to understand the right mind to have is he's constantly using these analogies and metaphors to try to get us to appreciate the mind. Let me ask you this. If you have enlisted as a soldier, what's the proper mindset for that? If you have enlisted into the army of our Lord and you are at war, what's the mindset of a soldier? Well, I would say he's diligent, he's persistent, he's sober and aware and alert. If you're a runner, not just running a long race, i.e. a marathon or 50 miles or something like that, what if you had to run for your life? No, no, I don't mean that you're in a rush because your life is threatened. I mean, what if simply the race was the race of a lifetime? Because that's what it is in Christianity. You are an athlete who has entered into the race that is not a marathon, it's a life-a-thon. When's the race over? When you lay it down in the grave. When's the race over? When Jesus returns. Has either goal been met? No. What do I do? I keep running. What's the mindset? I persist. Paul's sadness is that the brethren are being threatened by those who don't have this mindset. 
Paul acknowledges in them. He's already warned about them. He says, many aren't going to make it. There are some people who simply don't have this mind, and they don't want it. Notice verses 18 and 19, the same two things stand out. He says, for many walk. There, there are going to be two words, the walk and the mind. They're also moving forward. They also have a path that they're on, and they mind. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you, and now I tell you, even weeping. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Paul says in verse number 15, let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. In verse number 21, verse 20, he says our citizenship is in heaven, not these people. Paul's love for even them is seen, and he says, I've told you about them even weeping. I wonder if Paul is in prison writing this epistle and tears streaming down his face for knowing these people aren't going to go to heaven. I wonder if he's so concerned about the brethren. He said, brethren, listen, they're not doing right. They do not have the same mind. He says this about them. Number one, he says their destiny is destruction. He says of these individuals whose end is destruction. He says their God, their deity, he says whose God is their belly, their appetites, their pleasure, their palate. Their delight is not in Jesus. Their delight is in immorality. He says, whose glory is in their shame. Our glory ought to be given to God, and it's been addressed throughout the book, but not theirs. Their glory is in their shame. And finally, he says about them, their determination is purposeful. It's not accidental. He says, who set their minds on earthly things. Everything Paul has said about him, they are the exact opposite. In between Paul and these individuals are the brethren. Paul's appealing to the brethren. Brethren, have this mind. Don't miss out on heaven. Paul says, brethren, we are the circumcision, not them. We worship God in spirit and truth, not them. We're the ones that Christ is going to change our vile bodies into his glorious body. And therefore, set your mind. Listen, the goal is not being reached. Know that you haven't arrived. And therefore, keep pressing. You know who he needs to hear this. There are some parents out there that are wondering whether or not they should keep going. Yes, you should. There are some fathers out there wondering, should I keep trying to lead? Yes, you should. There are some mothers out there wondering, does anybody in this house care about me? Because everybody in this house uses me and nobody seems to care. I wonder, should I keep? Yes. Yes, you should. There may be some children wondering, how come my parents don't understand? Is there any hope here? Should I get? No, you should keep on pressing forward. Sometimes elders need to hear it. Keep going. Deacons need to hear it. Brethren, keep going. There's some Sunday school teachers that need to, hey, keep going. It really doesn't matter what the state, the message is the same. If no one here has reached the goal of heaven, then keep going. And keep pressing forward. And under no circumstances, be deterred by it. And let as many of us as have this attitude 
Paul says, be thus minded. Wouldn't it be great to be in a congregation where everybody had that mind? But if we can't get that yet, wouldn't it be great if you did? Not a Christian tonight become one. Why don't we start with you? Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is. Change your heart, change your life, change your mind. There is nothing in the world more important than Jesus. And there is nothing better than having Jesus in your life as your Lord and your Savior. Believe that he's the Son of God. He is. Change your heart, change your mind, and repent. Confess the name of Jesus and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins and let him save you. And friends, enter the race of a lifetime, a race that ultimately culminates in the salvation of your eternal soul. And if you have, I beg you, keep going. Keep pressing forward. Keep having the mind of God until we reach the goal. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.